Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. Elias, how you doing today? Oh, man, if I was any better, it just wouldn't be fair. How's that? I, hey, I, I think there's another famous host that says something similar to that. But um, Didn't Norm Montier say that? I don't know. You know what's funny, though? There's a, there's a new restaurant going next to my house, and we live in, you know, like a subdivision, and there's a school bias, but there's a... There's a restaurant, sports bar going in like two blocks away. And a high school buddy of mine lives in the neighborhood who is actually in my wedding. And I'm like, man, this is going to be trouble. We're going to go out for a walk every night about 830. And we're going to claim our norm our norm spot at the the local tavern. It's going to turn yes, into cheers are. for our neighborhood. So um, that's funny that you actually bring that up. But w- what's interesting is, you know, a few months ago, I don't know if anybody remembers, but we talked about uh, – the world's oldest whiskey that was going up for auction. You remember that? Yeah, I do. And uh, it looks like it sold for a little bit more money than what they thought it was going to be worth. I know. Which... If, if I remember right, that was a bottle of whiskey from J.P. Morgan's collection. Um, I don't remember the details, but it was produced between 1763 and 1803. And the auction was last month. It was actually purchased by the Morgan Library and Museum in New York. So I... Wonder if that isn't some relation to the Morgan family, but it sold for a hundred and thirty-seven thousand dollars. Right, which in the just in the environment now, where people are really, especially with collectibles and a lot of the stuff we've talked about, people are paying a lot more for stuff. I guess it's easy to say, oh yeah, that makes sense, but. Uh, I don't know. I guess we were kind of speculating and wondering, well, is it going to sell close to 40000 or is it going to be less? Is it going to be a lot more? I guess my feeling is it's probably going to be more because someone's going to really want it just because it was J.P. Morgan's. It's really old whiskey. Someone out there is going to think it's really cool. And then this library, I mean, yeah, that could be part of their family. Of course, they're going to want it probably more than anybody. Yeah, I, I so think they it's pay cool. top dollar for it. I think it's cool that's going to a library and other people are going to get to enjoy it. Um, I was reading an article on Yahoo Finance. I don't. I think you read the same article, but kind of in the news recently is the Delta variant, and there's concerns about how fast it's spreading and vaccination rates and a lot of different things. And no part of this is to be political, but Susie Orman actually put out an article on how to protect your finances from the Delta variant, and. I guess, what are your takes on this, Elias? Because, you know, we saw what happened with the original um, COVID-19 and now this Delta variant. And, you know, she says and other experts are worried about the economy as U.S. might go into another lockdown. I'm not really sure we're going to see another lockdown. But I guess some of the things she says in this article may make sense. So I thought it'd be fun to just kind of do a good or bad advice type situation on this because some of this I think is actually fairly good some of it I just think is silly because at some level we're not going to put our life on hold forever I mean I think we're all under the understanding that this is probably here to stay so we got to figure out how to deal with it not just shut down Um, what are your thoughts on this well so yeah as far as that goes I just don't know that people are willing to I don't know that people are willing to lock down again I think a lot of people feel like, well, I already gave up a year almost. So I guess we'll see. I guess if it's something we have to do, people will do it. But her advice, um, this article, reading through it, most of this is most of this is like pretty good common sense stuff. Like 
Don't panic sell stocks. Obviously, I agree with that. Um, Let's just go down the list one by one. Okay. Um, her first one was be careful about making big purchases. Yeah, I mean, I, in general, you should always be careful about making a big purchase. You should only buy stuff you can't afford. Yeah, I mean, but here's what I find interesting is her third one down, it says do refinance your mortgage. Well, what's the difference between make, buying a house and refinancing it? You're still borrowing money. So I don't think the concern, I mean, why, we can't let this virus control our financial life forever. So don't make big purchases. Yeah, well, maybe if you're going to leverage and go buy a boat or some other non, you know, need item, we should be concerned, but it shouldn't stop you from going to college. It shouldn't stop you from getting a new car. If you need a new car, shouldn't stop you from buying your first house. It's a little bit of fear mongering because this is all kind of in the unknown. Um, her second one is don't blow your pandemic relief money. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that's all come and gone for most people. I mean, everybody <laughs> blew it last 4th of July. Yeah, literally. I, mean, I saw the greatest fireworks show I've ever seen in my entire life in my front porch. And every time something went up, I'm like, well, there's another stimulus check. And that's fine. That's what it was meant to do. But for a lot of people, they they have received or are receiving some kind of um, stimulus that honestly they don't need. You know, what we've seen with this um, this economy is, you know, there's one you know, portion that's been highly affected and there's another portion that's flourished. And they still may be getting a stimulus check. So, I mean, in general, we don't want to blow money, but that doesn't mean if you're in a good spot and you have stable jobs and you made it through COVID before that you shouldn't spend it. Go spend it if you want to, especially if you've paid down your debt and you've already got a systematic savings um, plan in place. Yeah. So how about some of these other ones here? Do try to put some bills on hold. I think so it's a horrible idea. Yeah. I would pay every single bill you can afford to pay. Because when she tells somebody, hey, it's okay to not pay this bill, it doesn't mean you don't have to pay the bill. It just means you're going to have to pay it and pay a larger amount sometime in the future. It's not this get out of jail free from making bad mistakes. The 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 um, example she uses in the article, if you have a credit card, maybe you can get them to forgive the interest or something like that. Just pay the credit card off. Work at paying that off versus deferring and delaying the problem. Yeah, I mean, right. You're kicking the can down the road, so you might as well just address it and get it paid off. All right, so how about um, don't assume the job market will snap back? This one's actually a little – I guess I'm not confused, but I know the job market where we live, so in our local area, there's a lot of people looking for um, employees – so to me, it seems I don't think we're here here waiting for the job market to snap back. I think there's a lot of work out there. There's definitely work that people can go get. Well, I think the question becomes there are jobs that went away during the pandemic that aren't coming back. What we're noticing and seeing is those jobs in the service sector, those are the jobs that aren't being filled, right? I, I know recently my brother-in-law's uh, – he got a uh, letter from their daycare two days before it's supposed to start. We're closing our operation. We can't get enough staffing to meet DHS guidelines. Closed up shop. The daycare? Rest, the daycare closed up shop. There's restaurants wow. that aren't opening because they can't staff the place. Um, so I, I think we're seeing a lot of that. That said, 
the job market was never a guarantee anyway. Like your job could go away anytime. I think people have this level of complacency that everything's good and my job will only always be here. So we always have a plan for what we're going to do if our job's not longer here. Right. And, and, and yeah, and to go along with that, have a plan. But then also if you're the job you're in, you know, continually working on your skills and getting better at the things to keep yourself employable. But those are, you know, those are just things. If you want to be a good employee and have a good job somewhere, that's what you should be doing anyway. I think about this, though. I think it was a couple of weeks ago we did the great resignation. Maybe these people don't care about their current job. We're getting that job back. Maybe they actually are looking to move on to the next job. This one really, really shocks me. It says, don't keep too little in your savings and emergency fund. Susie Orman's now recommending three years in an emergency fund. Three years. And her rationale behind that is the average bear market lasts 3.1 years. Well, I'm here to tell you, I know very few people that during a bear market have to go live on their retirement savings in their brokerage account. So why do we need three years? Like what happened to three to six months, three years? You're, that's a lot of idle cash. That means if you've got a household budget of 6,000 a month, she wants you sitting on 50 to 60,000 of cash doing absolutely nothing for your family. Okay. And that wasn't for like retired people to have three years. That's everyone. She was saying everyone, everyone. So that brings up a good point because we've talked about this so many times that when you're in retirement, it's a little different. You have to have a strategy for how we're going to spend these dollars during retirement. Because if the market does go down and the average bear market's 3.1 years, well, arguably if we don't have three years of cash or cash equivalents, bonds, things that don't move a lot in price, you're going to have to sell stocks to raise your, your funds for retirement. And every time you have to do that, it's like cutting a branch off your apple tree. You're going to have less apples if we have to sell shares of companies that we own. I can see having the three-year emergency fund if we're in retirement. But why would you want to let 50 or 60 or 70, 80, $100,000 sit on the sideline in cash so if there's a pandemic that's happened like once every hundred years comes along again, we're prepared. Yeah. I think to, it's strictly fear mongering. Yeah. And to me, that almost just seems like she wants to say something different, like three to six months of an emergency fund. To me, that that's plenty, but also that's what everyone says. Right. So maybe that's a way for her. She's kind of trying to differentiate herself. Well, I'm going to say three years because no one else is saying she's going to change her narrative a little bit here. Yeah. And, she, you know, because she's writing books and all that, too. So maybe it maybe it's a little bit more just, well, I'm going to change my tune a little bit just so I'm kind of separating myself from the other money gurus that are out there. Here's the best piece of advice I think she has in here. and I want everybody to think about. If the economy were to shut down again and Harry Dent was right. And the market has some level of correction, whether it be 20, 30, 50, whatever, doesn't matter. Harry's right because he's going to be right at some point. We just don't know when. People should be thinking about how do I become opportunistic? And there's ways to be opportunistic in times of chaos. And it doesn't mean selling or buying. Simple things like converting your IRA dollars to your Roth IRA dollars. You know, if you're 35, 40, 45, and you've got this 10, 15, 20 year time horizon, so you're going to need the money and the market goes down 
arguably you're paying 40% less tax on those dollars that you convert and you're getting into this tax-free space for the duration. And most people we speak with believe at some level taxes are going to go up. In fact, it's known taxes are going up. The Trump uh, tax cuts expire at some point in the future. When they expire, we're going back to pre-Trump tax rates. Those are higher. Yeah. So really, yeah. So that's a good point. There's already a scheduled tax increase. Yeah. It's not if it's just when it's going right. up, it's already scheduled and people don't think about that, but just little things like that. If you convert dollars and you're in the 22% tax bracket, the 22% tax bracket used to be 25%. So what if I said, Hey, Mr. So-and-so I can show you a way to guarantee you get a 3% extra return on your money by converting today. Cause that's really what it is. You made 3% by doing nothing. Other than playing yeah. the tax bracket. Now, caveat, if the tax code changes in 2025, that may not be true. But under Correct. today's tax rate, you're converting at 3% less. Why wouldn't you do that, especially if we have some level of chaos in the market? Yeah, well, and that, how you were saying, be prepared to be opportunistic. So being prepared to be opportunistic and do something like that, that falls into the category of, successful investor behavior. So if you know going into it, if we have a big market correction, I'm already going to, I'm teed up. I'm ready to do this. I've wrapped my mind around it. Well, then you can execute it. And now you've done something that over your lifetime, and I mean, depending on the younger you are, the better, but over your lifetime, that should really pay off. Um, it's so a great th lead into the next article. That's where I was going. We, We're, let's but we are going to talk about five ways to be a terrible investor. Well, think about this. We always focus on what things people should do. You know, we try to have this positive show. Let's talk about the five easiest ways to be a terrible investor. In fact, we did the worst investor in the world. Uh, and we did the worst investor in the world. If they bought the, the stock market, the highest points in time that didn't necessarily make him a terrible investor. He was just the worst because he bought at the right time. But yeah. there's five things that make you the worst investor. Um, and part of it's because investing, the markets are murky. The investing world is really, really complex. And financial markets are dynamic. They're constantly changing. So focusing on what we would do if we wanted to be a terrible investor can kind of cut through the ambiguity and shine light on the practices we should avoid. Okay. So first pay high fees. Well, that's relative. I mean, no one wants to pay high fees. There are very high fee products out there. If you get associated with the wrong person, you could be paying three, four, 5% in fees and not know it. But here's why I say it's relative. We talked about the greatest hedge fund in the world um, a couple shows ago and it averaged something like 60 some percent a year for like 10 years. Okay. Yeah, you remember great. which fund yeah, it was? Yeah, yeah, I think it's called the Renaissance Fund, but it's got yeah. like the most, the best track history of all time. Yep, they charge two money management. I want to say they charge two percent management fee and forty four percent of the profits. Oh, they were they were double on both. Yeah, so it, like most hedge funds are two and twenty. They were charging like four and forty or five and forty. It was right. like double what the standard fee is. You're right, but the net result was thirty eight percent a year to the client. So that's right. Why so there's there should be no complaining about. Here's that. what you want to look at when you're looking at fees. What's your net result? What the fee is doesn't matter if you've executed a well-written financial plan and said, "Hey, my my goal is to have 
X amount of dollars retirement. I need a portfolio that's 70% stock, 30% bonds. Well, now we should just look at relative returns. And what I mean by that is if the stock market goes up 10 and you have 70% in the stock market, after fees, we want to be around seven. Could it be a little more, a little less? Absolutely, because it's relative to how you're allocated because nobody's just buying. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Most people in a diversified portfolio aren't just buying an index. They're buying other funds. But here's what can happen. Here's what blows up financial plans. They have one of these products that has 4 and 5% in fees in it. The market does 10. They have 70% of their money in the stock market, and they make two. Yeah, that's... They're not, not working out. They're not getting yeah. relative return. So I agree we shouldn't pay high fees, but fees are relative. The only thing that really matters is net result. Fees right. are irrelevant in absence of value. That's it. If you're not getting value, then you can't kind of quantify at some level because not all things are quantifiable. If we think back, um, Vanguard's put out the how to value the financial advisor and they have the financial advice an advisor brings to your portfolio each year is around 3%. Well, one and a half percent of that is the financial coaching and education. So how do you actually quantify that? That's it's that, not. that's difficult. And one, you're probably never I mean, you, it's almost one of those things where that's you're, you're probably not going to be able to because um, it's very conceptual. That part you- that part of the relationship, it's hard to understand because not everyone remembers all those times and it's. You know, if you stop someone from doing something they shouldn't, um, you know, down the road, they might not, you, you might get credit for it. You might not. No, that's, that's how it comes to play. It, it can't be done every year. Not every year is an advisor adding one and a half percent of like behavioral finance to your portfolio. It's all realized in times of chaos. It's realized in the pandemic last year when your financial advisor and You sat down, you had a well-written plan. You knew exactly how you should be allocated. You knew why you should stay the course. The plan gave you conviction and you made good investment decisions versus bad. Because I promise you right now, if your your advisor told you we can time the market, we should get out at 23,000 on the Dow or 20, you probably didn't get right back in. You missed out on it. And that's where a good advisor can add value. It's not through picking the next shiny investment. That's not how it's done. It's done in times of chaos. The second way to be a terrible investor is to ignore taxes. I've long said this, Elias. There's two tax codes in America. Most people don't know that. There's the informed and the uninformed. And everybody has a choice as to what tax code they're in. I learned that from a mentor about 12 years ago. And I kind of thought, I thought, and I sat back and listened. I'm like, you're right. You can go and be informed as to what you're legally allowed to do from a tax standpoint or not. People who are trying to do this themselves, a lot of times they ignore taxes, right? They buy something, they sell it in the first 12 months. They're paying ordinary income tax. Is it really worth it? I don't know. Um, So ignoring taxes is a great way to become a terrible investor. Yeah. And I always, whenever we talk taxes, I always think here's, to me, here's the simple solution for taxes in your investment planning. When you're young, get a Roth IRA started. And I know that's something every advisor says, but you're going to pay taxes, you invest the money, and then you're done. You're never paying taxes on the growth. You're never paying taxes um, when you take the money out. So that's like, that's to me, that's like the simple area. Um, 
you know, the stuff you're talking about. Yeah, if you're just trading in a brokerage account, you and you're going to ignore the tax consequences of your trades, well, a lot of your gains are probably being eaten up in the tax bill. I want to go back to something you said for younger people. Let's in younger 45 and under, maybe even 50. Yeah. <clears throat> I know if you're a house if you have a household, husband and wife, two kids, and you're making $150,000 a year, let's say. You're probably in an effective tax rate. So if you look at what you paid, and I'm just thinking back to a client I have, they made 150-ish thousand. They paid 13,000 in taxes for the year, federal. And they told me, they're like, yeah, well, we want to get the tax deductions. I said, why do you want to get a 10% tax deduction? Because that's what their effective rate was. It was like 10 or 11%. I said, so you're taking a tax deduction today of 10% to defer this thing into an unknown tax bracket. It could be 30% when you retire. Think about that, 10%. So most people tell me how much they need the tax deduction. My question is why? You need yeah. to save... On twenty thousand dollars, you need to save two grand. No, don't do Ta it. Tax Get deductions, tax free world. But here's a problem, and I don't know this. Maybe it's changing. What's the default? You know, the the four hundred one k's automatically enroll now. I'm guessing they don't automatically enroll you to the Roth. They automatically enroll you to the traditional side. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever seen any client I've worked with seen a plan that automatically puts you into the Roth. I think that's almost an election every single time. And most people, and it's sad because younger people who aren't engaging an advisor and work with somebody, are they getting the guidance to say, hey, I should go put this in a Roth IRA? Most 30-year-olds maybe don't even know what it is. Unless they're watching our show, they're listening. Or they're a current, or a current client. Right. I, know, I know a lot. Almost all of our young clients are getting as much money into the tax-free growth space as they can. Well, think about that. So here's what I tell anybody listening. Go pull your tax return. Look at the taxes you paid versus the amount you made. It might shock you, right? Because that person who's making 150000 hey, I'm in the 22% tax bracket. Well, that, that's great. You're paying 22% on an incremental dollar. You're not paying that from dollar one. So go look at what you're what you're really paying, and maybe you want to switch some of that contribution to Roth. Um, this maybe is our favorite of all time, and in my opinion, this is the greatest way to be a terrible investor, and that's trying to time the market. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's it. There's nothing. It can't consistently be done, and just the amount of money that people have probably not made over the years by sitting on the sidelines in cash because they read an article that scared them or they just thought that they were smart enough to time the market. If you could somehow quantify like what the total opportunity cost is of everyone who, who's ever tried to do it, it it'd probably blow your mind how much money people have missed out on. Well, successful investors just don't act that way. Yeah, though that's true. So, they don't. They don't try to time the market. Can't be done. Never heard Warren Buffett one time say, let's time the market. Doesn't mean he doesn't buy and sell. He just doesn't try to time the market. And I don't want this to get skewed. If you have cash and you are waiting for an opportunity to buy, that's one thing. But when I say timing the market, like I tell my clients, we're either in or we're out. We're not going to try to move in and out because we have to be right twice to time a market. You got to be right when you sell. You got to be right when you buy. 
Yeah, and the and we talk about compound interest on our show. So when you're you know you're participating and things are going up, well, compound interest is working for you. And we've shown charts and stuff before where if you're in cash and you miss out on those gains, it's it's the same thing, but it's opposite. Your the what you're missing out on is compounding against you as well. Yes, the fourth way to become a terrible investor is chase your returns. And I see this all the time. Are they referring to the, the, the meme stocks or the meme trades? No, in general though, let me, let me tell you how someone picks their 401k allocation if they don't have somebody helping them or they haven't spent a lot of time researching. They pull up the fund list because you know they give you the funds and the list and the one-year performance and the 10-year performance. Well, you know what columns right next to the fund name? The one-year performance. And guess what people gravitate towards? I'm going to go pick. Whatever's the highest for yeah. the last year. I'm going to pick the five that were highest. I don't know what they are. Go ask someone. Here's how I know people don't know what they are. Can I tell you how many times I've seen in someone's portfolio, they own the 2025 fund, the 2030 fund, the 2035 fund, and the 2040 fund? <laughs> all, all like four I'm or like, five different targets. You guys own or... like the 2035 fund because it's just all the same stuff different time periods that shows me they don't know what they're doing. Right. They think they're diversifying. They're just buying the same stuff over and over getting to someplace in the middle, but they go and they pick those, the winners. And I like to show people the calendar chart that goes back and shows here's all the asset classes for the last 20 years. Here's what each return was on an annual basis. And very, very rarely do you have at the top three in a row of the same asset class. You might get two, right? A lot of times growth is up there because they are taking more risk, but I, I've never seen one that has four or five in a row. It's not the same asset class every single year. So that's how I know people are chasing returns. They're only picking the ones with the highest returns. If you're taking the ones with the highest returns, guess what that often comes with? Well, typically, if they had a great year this year, the next year, there's a different class that is going to perform that well. And the the fund that did really great the year you were looking at, the next year probably has less performance. Um, I'm not going to say it's going to go negative, but just not as good as what it did before. The greatest thing someone can do is get help getting a great asset allocation and just set their 401k for automatic rebalancing. Yeah, That's a way to become a great investor instead of a terrible one, which is chasing returns. And the last and the fifth way to be to be a terrible investor is to have a short-term focus. And this is really hard for people because we are a society of what have you done for me lately? Oh, absolutely. Right? Oh my gosh, this investment has only went up 2% and the market did 10. I better get out. Or oh, I put my investment in today and the market went down 7% right away. I better sell. The way to win at investing is exactly opposite of the casino. Short-term mentality should be your mentality at the casino. If you're buying meme stocks and whatever else you're doing, that's speculative. Let, let me change that. If you're in a speculative investment environment, you should have a very short-term focus. But if you're a long-term investor, you should have the longest-term focus possible, right? If you're, I hear it all the time. We get a 60-year-old in here, well, I'm going to retire in three years, so I got to be safe. I go, are you going to pass away in three years? Well, no. I said, well, how long do you think you might live? 85. So arguably you got a 22 year time horizon. Yeah. But well, time, don't time horizon, like people always think their time horizon 
and this is maybe an area our industry could do better. People always think your time horizon is when your retirement date, but it's, that's really not true because you could retire. If you retire at 60, well, you could spend 30 or 35 years retired. That's like a whole second career. So your time horizon is much longer. Your retirement rate is strictly the time in which you have to put together a distribution strategy. It's not your time horizon. It's the point in time in which your investment philosophy may change, but your time horizon hasn't. Your time horizon is how long you're going to live. We obviously don't know that, but we can make really good inferences as to how long people are going to live. So those are the five ways to become a terrible investor. I have one more article I thought was really cool. We're not going to hit on all of these, but Forbes had an article about unusual state tax laws, Elias. Which one did you find the most amusing? I mean, some of these are really, really out there. Like in Alabama, it's illegal to drive blindfolded. <laughs> no kidding. That's not be. a tax law, but it is a law there. Or in Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. <laughs> I mean, why would a donkey be in your bathtub? But My favorite one was the Florida rent-a-cow loophole. That's the greatest loophole of all time. So I buy a property in Florida. I put a cow on a little parcel, and now it's agricultural land, and I get some type of a property tax rate for doing that. Um, what about yeah, so I actually know. So my dad, actually, he, he lives in Florida, and he bought some hunting ground there, and him and his buddy that went in on this, they bought a mule that they could fence in down there so then they could say it's a farm and they're farmers. So what do they hunt in Florida? Like gators? The, no, they actually use it for deer hunting, but like are, they're little baby ones compared to what we have here. <laughs> I'm like deer hunting in Florida. What are these things? What do they eat? Like palm trees? I mean. Yeah. So a big, I don't, I don't remember, but I know like a small deer here is a big one for them because they're they're uh they just don't get nearly as big they don't have the food they don't have no the they don't have the food or the corn. environment and they just don't have but yeah they're still down there okay so. check this out missouri has a single men tax that's a good one too i thought that was pretty funny so in missouri single men face an additional charge any unwed male between the ages of 21 and 50 must pay a one dollar annual tax the law was enacted in 1820 Presumably to encourage men to marry, and it would have been the equivalent of twenty dollars today at the time. So you gotta I, pay an extra twenty dollars on your taxes to stay single. To stay single, I, I think that's hilarious. But um, good show. I think the takeaways from this. Let's let's focus on the things we shouldn't do a little bit, and that can help us become other investors. Do you have any closing remarks for the show, Elias? Um, yeah. So we touched on some of those things that are gonna make you be a bad investor. Um, don't do those and really do the things that are going to help you be successful. Even if it's a little painful in the short term, it's going to work out. So if the market goes down, start buying more and just pre be prepared to do stuff like that. Uh, if you're in retirement, if you already have a good distribution strategy, believe in the process and the plan, whatever you want to say and stick it out and everything will be okay. With that said, appreciate everybody listening. If you're looking for some help, you can go to the website at btwellshow.com. There's a little link to get a financial plan or talk to an advisor. Until next time, thanks for coming along, Elias. 
Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.